On this third Sunday of Eastertide, we look forward to our stewardship season, which invites us to explore our money stories. This morning's gospel story gives us an example of how the power of money stories can have and offers us a glimpse of how we can rewrite them. Let's travel through the eye of the needle together as we hear this story as if it was just written for us. As Jesus went out in the street, a man came running up and greeted him with great reverence and said, good teacher, what must I do to get eternal life? Jesus says, why are you calling me good? No one is good, only God. You know the commandments, don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't lie, don't cheat, and honor my father and mother. He said, teacher, I have from my youth kept them all. Jesus looked him hard in the eye and loved him. And he said, there's one thing left. Go sell whatever you own and give it to the poor. All your wealth then will be heavenly wealth and come follow me. The man's face clouded over. This was the last thing he expected to hear, and he walked off with a heavy heart. He was holding on tight to a lot of things and not about to let go. Looking at his disciples, Jesus said, do you have any idea how difficult it is for people who have it all to enter the kingdom? The disciples couldn't believe what they're hearing, but Jesus kept on. You can't imagine how difficult. I'd say it's easier for a camel to go through a needle's eye than for the rich to get into God's kingdom. That got their attention. Then who has any chance at all, they said. Jesus was blunt. No chance at all if you think you can pull it off by yourself. Every chance in the world if you let God do it. For the good news of Jesus Christ. Thanks be to God. So as you heard from Mark, the theme of our stewardship season this year revolves around stories which makes sense because stories, after all, are how we process our lives, our dreams, our hopes and regrets. It's how we pass on culture, values, heritage. It's the made-up bedtime stories as children that help us process our day and safely explore our feelings and the world around us. It's the songs that carry values like cats in the cradle, or bolstered local activism like Charlie on the MTA, forever memorialized with our Charlie cards. Or it's the stories that made us feel less alone in our life experiences, like the entire anthology of every song Abba ever wrote. If you thought I could get through a sermon without mentioning Abba, you were wrong. It's the sacred stories in the book of Genesis, 
that reflect a community in exile committed to the survival of their culture and faith. It's the parables that Jesus used to connect his listeners to his stories in ways that slipped past their defensiveness or prior assumptions. It's the way we ask for advice for a friend, or the way that we share non-malicious gossip that carries important information to strengthen community bonds. Before we had the written word, storytelling was our history. It was who we are. And in many ways, we still are our stories. Now, because this is stewardship season, the focus is a little narrowed to just our money stories. And I say just as though money wasn't something that Jesus talked about more than faith or prayer. Our money stories shape our lives and our worldview. In fact, in his book, The Market as God, Harvey Cox explores how our relationship to money, specifically to the market economy, often functions in the same way that religion does. He says, the market comes complete with its own doctrines, prophets, and evangelical zeal to convert the world to its way of life. He explains, adding that the way the world economy operates is neither natural nor inevitable, but shaped by a global system of values and symbols that can be best understood as religion. And we all have money stories that we carry with us. Memories of childhood allowances and lemonade stands, or overhearing parents' anxiety about how they'll pay the bills, or the stress of making rent on your first ever apartment. Some of us were perhaps taught to avoid taking on debt no matter what, and others taught about a cycle of leveraging assets to take on debt in order to acquire more assets. Our relationship to money shows up in many other non-monetary areas of our lives, and maybe unsurprisingly, our money stories can shape how we relate to God. Take the example of our rich young ruler. What stories might he be carrying? Did his mom's servant let him come with her to the market when he was a boy and teach him how to stretch a denarius by comparison shopping and haggling? Did he learn to appreciate the finer things in life at the hem of his father's tablecloth, getting tastes, even as a toddler, of the delicacies his family served at their banquets? Or perhaps did he see his dad, who maybe married into the royal family, wince every time a usable scrap of cloth or a not-yet-spoiled piece of meat was thrown out, learning to squirrel away anything of value, eventually learning to hoard money instead of scraps? Or did his teenage best friend show him how he would trick people out of their pocket money in a game of chance, instilling in the young teen the mantra, a fool and their money are soon parted? Or perhaps he was the distant next of kin to a local ruler who had died, childless, having grown up never knowing when he would get his next meal, suddenly with more wealth than he knew what to do with, but somehow still not enough to keep at bay that deep-seated anxiety that gnawed at him to this very day. 
And maybe that's why when he heard this rabbi from Nazareth was in town, he made sure to find out when, where he would be and when so that he could talk to him and get some answers. You see, even when this young ruler had had nothing, he knew that he had God. At least he hoped he did. He made sure to keep all of God's commandments. And when through some series of unexpected events and coincidences, he found himself several rungs up on the social ladder, he wondered if maybe this was God coming through on God's end of the covenant. But there was still the fear. There was still the anxiety that ate away at him at night that whispered his childhood memories to him as he poured over the household budgets. What if it all disappears? What if there isn't enough after all? What else do I need to do? How can I be secure? Where is God in all of this? How can I know for sure? And so he finds the rabbi who tells him the last thing he ever expected to hear, to give it all up. He could never go back to the life he had before. Surely that would be a betrayal of his family who had wanted so much for him to have a better life than they had had. Surely this rabbi didn't mean it. But looking into the rabbi's eyes, he knew that he wasn't joking. This man, this rabbi, really was telling him that the only way to get closer to God was to do the one thing he was sure he couldn't do, the one thing he was truly afraid of, to move backwards, to throw himself back into the uncertainty and desperation of a life without this new safety net that he clung to so tightly. He wanted to. Well, he wanted to want to, but he just wasn't there yet. And a new sensation welled up alongside the anxiety that had grown all too familiar over the years. Sadness. And the young ruler returned home to his riches empty-handed. This is a story of someone suddenly and jarringly confronted with the ways that his money story is getting in between him and God. And that very story that he carries with him is exactly what makes it nearly impossible for him to let go and write a new story grounded in God. But that's what we're ultimately called to do, to ground our relationship with money in our relationship with God, to reweave our money stories so that they are based on God's story rather than the other way around. Now, as Jesus says, it's not easy and it is nearly impossible to do on our own. Do you have any idea how difficult it is for people who have it all to enter God's kingdom? Jesus explains. You can't imagine how difficult. I'd say it's easier for a camel to go through a needle's eye than for the rich to get into God's kingdom. Now, I've never interpreted that passage as some implication of moral depravity on the part of the wealthy, but rather as a commentary on how emotionally and cognitively difficult it is 
to truly live in God's economy when your life is so steeped in the world's economy. But when the disciples ask, then who has any chance at all? Jesus ends with the good news, as always. No chance at all if you think you can pull it off by yourself. Every chance in the world if you let God do it. So during this stewardship season, we'll practice shaping our money story from God's story through different lenses. Next week on April 30th, Juliana, on her last Sunday, will lead us in remembering our stories as we remember alongside the Israelites gathering manna and the disciples at the Last Supper, recalling moments of God's abundance amidst, amidst scarcity. Then on May 7th, Kent will dive into the theme of release, the spiritual practice that both frees us from ourselves and liberates others. On May 14th, I'll be back in the pulpit to lead a service of reimagining, reimagining familiar stories in new ways and reimagining our wider society and economic systems. And finally, on May 21st, Consecration Sunday, we'll celebrate res restoration with stories of miraculous abundance, specifically of forgiveness and full fishing nets. On that day, we'll also turn in our pledge forms, ritualizing our commitment to this community and to the new money story that we are weaving together. Back to our young ruler. While we don't know his rest of the story, we nevertheless carry him with us as we set ourselves to the task of grounding ourselves in God's story so that we can reweave our own stories in ways that bring God's economy, God's kingdom, closer to being here on earth as it is in heaven. A kingdom where we receive each day our daily bread, knowing that it is enough. A kingdom where we forgive our trespassers, knowing that we too receive the miracle of God's abundant grace. And we release our debtors, knowing that our liberation is tied up in theirs. A kingdom where we humbly and earnestly ask for God's help in avoiding the temptations of the world's economy, because we know just how entrancing it is, and we know that we can't do it alone. And each step we take, each line of that story that we rewrite together, that passageway through the eye of the needle grows a little bit wider. Amen. <laughs>